Hello, how you doing? <laughs> My name is Fran. Welcome to the very first episode of the Heal Into Your Awakening podcast. Wow, it feels a bit surreal greeting you this way because starting this podcast has been something that have been tugging at my heart for a really long time, but fear prevented me from moving forward. But as time went by, that desire and that tugging at my heart intensified and overpowered my fear and whatever anxiety that I was having. Now, fear because I know that in order for me to create this podcast and have it be as effective as I intended to be requires a high level of transparency and vulnerability that um, <laughs> was really hard to summon up. That the courage to be vulnerable was something that I, I prayed for. And I'm very grateful that I'm here in this space and finally making it do what it do and <laughs> I want to say thank you for taking time to listen to me and I hope that this is a journey that we embark on together and I look forward to seeing what God has in store for us I believe that this experience is a gift and I'm very excited to unravel that gift. And I'm very grateful that you are here listening and hopefully continue to listen to me. Now, if what I say resonates and if you know anyone who could benefit from sh me sharing my experience in this way, please share subscribe and again I look forward to seeing what this all unravels starting 2018 I experienced what I now know to be a spiritual awakening and um, when I was going through it man I was going through it it was really hard there was a lot of resistance in the beginning I was very angry at God and I just felt like I was given the wrong cards in life and, and, and it was too much for me. But um, when I finally got out of, out of my own way and, and got out of that mindset of self-pity and being a victim, I went back to God with a renewed perspective and I asked for guidance. I knew that then where it didn't make no sense to me but on a deeper level, I knew that it was a pivotal moment in my life. And I could not, I, I was not equipped to decipher what that moment was. The only being person that I knew could do that was God. And, um, I went back to get answers and when I started to ask questions in hopes of hearing answers God answered me in a way that 
changed my life profoundly and that change has brought me here to where I feel like I want to assist anyone who might be going through what I went through to bring them to them to bring them to God who is who will then lead them to themselves because that's really what happened one's childhood is the foundation to who you become as an adult and the kind of childhood you have your conditioning at childhood really sets the tone for how you will be conditioned as an adult with that being said my childhood was filled with trauma and neglect I was born April 1989 in Monroeville Liberia so if you know Liberian history you would know that this time was at a wake of the 1990 Civil War so there was a lot of disarray and in one way or the other that definitely set a tone for um, a lot of of just the inconsistency from living space to education just everything and um, that's how my childhood started um, I was born to parents who were neglectful in their own way especially my mom um, I was left with my dad at a very young age and she just took on the world doing whatever she wanted to do and um, during that time I lived between my maternal step-grandmother in West Point <laughs> if you are familiar with Liberia or you would know that Liberia is that that part of that part of Liberia is the slums and there's just so much that happened and during my time there, I encountered from physical abuse to sexual abuse. And this was between the ages of, I was between the age of um, five, six to my early years of being a seven year old. So at that young age, I already had trauma. I was already building up so much I had to survive I had to take care of myself and create survival mechanisms because I barely had my so after that time we went to we, we, we moved to Nigeria my mom and my stepdad and then she had I don't know what was going on in her relationship but <laughs> She didn't feel comfortable there. She left her children and moved to Liberia and we stayed in Nigeria. And my mom took pride in being this stern disciplinarian mother. So what she did was instruct her friends, the neighbors, whoever that had access to me to beat me if I did something wrong because if they report 
me to her, she would kill me. Now, I don't believe my mom would have killed me, but I just think that that was her way of showing that she she was no nonsense. Um, she made that rule, and she she didn't really live in Nigeria, so it was just us, and people took advantage of that. At a very young age, I learned to... I've always, I love being in service. I love helping people. I love being in service of people. And I now know myself to be an empath. But those qualities were building. I mean, I use those qualities as a survival mechanism. But as a child, I learned that hurt people hurt people in a very, at a very young age. And I've always been super intuitive. So I would step in a room and literally feel the angriest or the saddest person. And I made it my mission to do so because I knew that over time, if I am not mindful, that person would turn on me. And um, so I was like the queen of, in Africa, we, you know, the adults would call, come itch my hair and you take a comb, you scratch and grease their hair. I was the queen of doing that. I was the queen of giving massage or rubbing people's feet. I was also the queen of making quick meals. <laughs> I could turn anything into something. And I learned that at a very long age from survival. I had no one to protect me. And that was my way of protecting myself by being in service, by giving to the point of exhaustion. Um, my mom had left us in the care of her brother who her younger brother who lived in the house and who prided himself as being the disciplinarian and her cousin who um didn't really have any kids and I think she had a lot of trauma from that because this woman would get upset and just beat me beat me to the point that my my eyes would be bloodshot and to the point that she would have to actually, my stepdad didn't live in a house with us. So she would actually lie. Oh, she would have me lie that somebody else did that to me because it was so bad. So I also had a fear of people who were drunk because most of the times that she would do that, she would be drunk. My uncle, in Nigeria, we had, it was my uncle. And then we had my aunt, my mom's older sister, who was who was at a, at a financial advantage. So a lot of people looked up to her. But um, my brother was my dad, my stepdad's only son. He had three girls and my brother was considered like a prized possession. So, and he was really young. So no one, so I really was that child that I got sent around a lot. And um, I started to develop a lot of self-worth issues run from, Again, anyone could come to the house and discipline me per my mother's request. And um, for a girl, for, for a, a little girl that really says a lot, that really tells you how you should feel about yourself at that time. That's how I saw it. And um, my uncle would just, if I did something wrong, he would just lay me out and discipline me with a, belt, whatever there was. And 
I didn't mind that too much, honestly, because again, in Africa, you get discipline, you get whoopings. But he wouldn't even raise his voice at my cousins. So at a very young age, I started to feel second, like second class. Now, um, in Africa, people have, um, we have housemaids and a lot of people treat their housemates badly. And though I wasn't a housemate, though my, the, my, I lived in a, I went to a good school. I socially, I, we, you know, we weren't necessarily poor, but I was treated like a housemate. And, um, it did a lot to my self-esteem. And, um, but a lot of times I would sit with myself and make sense of the situation and say it's because my mom wasn't around or I didn't have my parents around. And when I do have my mother around or when I do have my parents around, this wouldn't be the case. So fast forward to when I was about 12 going to 13, my stepfather finally decided that the relationship with my mom was over. At that time, my mom, we used to see my mom was like Christmas day. Like it would be like, we'll see her maybe in a year. I might not see my mom for two years. I would see her once a year for like two weeks and then she would head back to Liberia. Now there were rumors that, um, she had another family, another situation back home, but I was in, I was in Nigeria and whatever was going on was going on. And I, I, I used, I, 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 she was my security blanket. The idea of her was my security blanket and it served as a consolation to what was to come for me. That once I'm with my mom, once I'm reunited with my mom, um, things wouldn't happen the way that it was happening. And, um, so when my, when my stepdad and my mom finally broke up, he sent my, my, my aunt my mom's cousin and I back to Liberia and my brother stayed with him. Now, I remember when the rumor came about, like, you know, the people were whispering about it that we were going to be sent back. I remember for weeks just praying to God and trying to make deals with God that I wouldn't be separated from my brother because I really had this fear of people being alone from their parents because I was witnessing it firsthand and I felt like my brother was going to witness it as well. So I would hold him at night and just pray. And I was like 12, 13 and I would just smell him to remember him. And it was, I just remember it to be such a traumatic time in my life. And the day finally came, we went back to Liberia. So even though I was sad, I was a little hopeful because finally I would be in the same country as my, both my parents. Um, I, my dad, I'm my dad's junior. He named me after him. So there's people like my people consider me like my dad's favorite kid. So I would finally have some kind of value. My dad will be there. My mom will be there. And I remember basking in my mom's presence. I, when, when she would refer me as her daughter, I would just be so happy because for once in a very long time, I had an immediate relation to someone. I wasn't referred to as um, the, the child of a friend or a niece. 
I was someone's daughter and that meant that I would be cared for as such. Now, now I understand where my mother was coming from. I knew that, I mean, she was, she wasn't equipped, but at that time I had no awareness of anything. And, um, most that security blanket was snatched away from me early on. Like after a few months, I, so I'm one of those people, right? Um, when I, I pride myself in, I love to take care of people. And when I went to, even though I was 13 and we had a housemaid, I would make sure that my mom had hot water in the morning before I went to school specifically for me. I would make sure that my sister diapers was washed by me just because I like to customize my care for people. I like people to know, like I, it's just an, I just like being, I, my love language is acts of services. And I started that at a very long age. And, um, I remember this one instance, my stepdad and we were all sitting watching TV that evening and I had bought biscuits. But because of the humidity in Liberia, the biscuits, it was a chocolate biscuit, but all the chocolate transferred to the wrapper of the biscuit and the biscuit just stayed in the middle. And um, I remember sitting at a dining room table and licking the wrapper. So my mom, my mom is, considers herself a funny, I think she's pretty funny too. But um, sometimes she's funny at other people's expense. And for an insecure 13 year old that day, Oh, she really touched my butt, like pressed my buttons. Um, she was walking by and she said, it, it, it wouldn't sound as funny in, in an American accent, but she said something along the lines of, look at her, look at how greedy she is, just like her father. Man, everybody busted out laughing. My stepfather, what his, he had this really obnoxious laugh. He jumped to the floor and busted out laughing and it embarrassed me. One, I'm very protective over the people that I love and I don't like people talking about my people. So her talking about my dad kind of pissed me off, but um, it embarrassed me because no one, no girl wants to be considered greedy. And this was not my father. This was another man out. So it was just so much at that time and it, and no, it pissed me off. Um, so I sat there silently and I, as I was eating the biscuit, I shared it with my sister and at some point she started crying for more. So he sent me out to buy the same biscuit for her and I bought it. And then he noticed that the chocolate again transferred to the wrapper and you could just eat the biscuit, but you would have to lick the wrapper. So then he looked at me and, and um, extended the wrapper to me and said, here, go lick it. I told him, no, thank you. And then I went to my room. Didn't think much, nothing much of it, forgot about it. The next day before school, I woke up, you know, to wash my sister's diapers. My mom comes outside. She looks at me and she tells me, so last night she calls my stepfather's name, was trying to joke with you and you took offense to it and you were disrespectful by walking away. I'll tell you this, how you treat my man in this house is exactly how I'm going to treat you. When I tell you that my heart sank when my mom said that, because I'm, I don't know if it would have had the effect they had on me if I didn't have the experiences that I've had. 
I, I, I had put her on such a pedestal. I had used her as a security blanket for, and, 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 and she served as a consolation for a lot of the things that I was encountering. But hearing that broke me because it solidified that feeling of inadequacy and unworthiness that I was struggling with to and figuring out if it really was like that or not. And my mom just completely crushed whatever hope of self-worth that I had for myself. So that was like a huge moment in my life at that time. After that, I just remember masking it by being this loud, outgoing, funny person. But internally, I just felt I had very little self-worth. Um, it boiled over to my teenage years. Again, hurt people hurt people. So I developed just survivor mode. I had a lot of toxic tendencies. I'm pretty sure because of my mindset and because of how I thought about myself, I started to attract a lot of people that were toxic as well. So I was always involved in some kind of nonsense. Now, I have always felt super sensitive inside. So <laughs> I would cause some, it's, it's just, it was just a mess. I was a mess. And um, I left Liberia, went to Ghana, I kind of lived with, um, I lived with my aunt at that time. And she too definitely treated me differently. Again, I don't expect people who are not my parents to add. I had already accepted that people that are not your parents treat you differently. That's something that I knew at that time. And I didn't, I would, um, like my grandma would send me money and I would share the money with everyone in the house. But I would notice that whenever their dad sent them money, they would, um, their mom would take them to the room and they, I would see them whispering. But again, I didn't care because I felt like I was paying my dues. I felt like me living in another person's space was a liability enough. And I wanted them to like me and not see me as this liability. So didn't matter. I felt very isolated. Yes. But again, I felt, I knew that I was gonna, I was on my way to America. So those things didn't really, it mattered, but it didn't really matter. But again, I already had the conditioning that I wasn't really worthy of much. So I accepted and I self-soothed myself by indulging in other things, maybe like reading or, or just fantasizing about the future Things like that were like ways, my ways of, of escaping. But again, I just had very little optimism as far as like how I expected people to treat me. Came to America and um, I reunited with my grandmother, uh, my, my maternal grandmother, um, my uncle and my aunt, the same uncle that used to discipline me back home. And then my aunt, who, my mom's older sister, and living with with these people was, I mean, they were family, and I love my family, but there was just a lot of dysfunction. Um, there was a lot of constant conniving. I guess people people make that excuse and say all families do that to each other. 
I don't know about all of that, but there was a lot of conniving. There was a lot of gossiping within each other. And I, it's just, and that gossiping also transferred over to me. There would be like just silly things that an adult should never say about a child, whether it was in regards to my look or just, it was just always something. And it definitely contributed again to that lack of self-worth so my entire time in Jersey was just filled I I was a I was depressed but um I didn't know anything about depression at that time I was a high functioning de- person who was depressed I was loud I was funny but I was completely empty inside and I attracted relationships that again reiterated that I had little self-worth and um, went to high school graduated high school at a certain point I moved to my aunt's house in New Jersey in um, she lived in like the South Jersey area living there again these people are you know my my maternal family they're very dysfunctional one of the things I encountered was um, my clothes were in the basement my aunt had a huge house she had more than enough bedrooms and um, her basement was unfinished but my clothes were kept in the she had me put my clothes in the unfinished basement and I, even though she had a guest room that I cleaned every day, um, I had to share a room with my cousin, which I felt like I was posing on her. And, um, and I was, she had a full size bed and I was 18, 19 and she was the same age as me. So imagine two grown women, two grown girls sleeping on a full bed. So eventually I started to put my my blankets on the floor and I slept on the floor for about two about two and a half years during my time at my aunt's house um, she was going through some financial constraints so she guided me to get my home health aid license now I don't recommend any young lady any teenager becoming a home health aid where you're living in another person's house for work but that was me um, I would go to work, especially during vacation time. I would go to work for a month, two, three weeks without even coming home. Um, and my checks would go to my aunt's house. So a lot of times she would receive my checks. And then when I come back home for vacation, she would have me, um, cash the checks and I was very happy so I didn't want to be a liability to anyone so I was happy with sharing that money so sometimes I would just take like $200 she didn't really ask me for a specific amount but I would just take what I needed and give her the rest of it and that continued for a while but um I I real I felt stuck and and I say stuck because stuck has never been something that I have felt throughout my childhood up until my teenage years I've always had hope but at a certain point in my life that 
depression led me to feeling to not feeling hopeful and um i remember the specific moment where i felt stuck i had just worked as a home health aide for a month and i came home i was excited about spending time with my boyfriend at that time and um my job the agency kept calling me and i kept sending them to voicemail and i think they called my aunt and um instead of her asking me she just told them yeah she's available to work and in no time she came knocked on the room door and said hey get ready get your stuff ready tomorrow morning i'm dropping you to work you're gonna be there till monday and i had a i was already scheduled to go to work for another month so i would have had no time in two months for myself imagine that for uh a social i was social enough i had friends 20 year old or, or an 18 19 year old that was just i think she knew i was sending them to voicemail so she was a little annoyed that i was effing up my money and her money so there was like very little care to it and i just felt stuck i felt low that was like the lowest point in my life and thankfully after a few like during that time I, I was in communication with my dad and he's always encouraged me to go visit his sisters one was in trenton and another was in rhode island so i i finally called my aunt in rhode island and i you know i went to go see her and when i went to see her it was just a completely different dynamic from what i have ever experienced in my life i've experienced people treat me differently because i wasn't their child i've experienced people treat each other the way they treat their friends the gossip the this the that it just really i had a, a perspective of our people and life that when i moved to rhode island my aunt just changed my aunt she's not perfect but she's just this person she just has so much integrity within her and you could you start talking about somebody around my aunt and she automatically like cuts the whole thing off like she's one of those people so i started to see how she was with her kids i started to see how my uncle was with his kids and just everything and it just it touched me a lot and it and it, and it gave me hope so um i eventually moved to rhode island and um been in rhode island ever since and i think leaving that space even now um when i go to jersey i i can't drive past certain areas of jersey because it takes me back to such a dark period of my life and um so when i came to rhode island i was like i had hope but i was broken and um it didn't take too long I met my son's father and that relationship was just built on codependency it was toxic it was there was a lot of sex self-sacrificing for my part there's a lot of playing victim for my part and um, I think that the way I felt about myself was how he treated me and over time I just didn't I, I didn't I wasn't in love anymore I didn't really want to be there 
But because I didn't want to be alone, I stayed. I stayed for six years. And um, during those six years, after two years of the relationship, at this time I was I was kind of done, but then I, I got pregnant with my son. Um, I believe that my awakening really started when I had my son because postpartum expressed itself to me was it showed me lack I felt like I didn't have the qualities that were necessary to be a good mother and I felt like my child was going to become me and I didn't know how to stop that but I had this burning desire to make sure that my child does not experience the childhood that I experienced. So, um, at a certain point in that relationship, it wasn't going well. Um, my, I didn't want my son to witness dysfunction. I would rather us be separated and parent co-parent well um, I came to that realization one particular I mean I felt like that but at a certain point my ex and I were just coexisting at home and um, this day my son um, he came home and I was annoyed and usually when he comes home I would close my door and he'll stay in the other the other room or whatever and my son knew not to bring us together. He would hang out with his dad and come with to me and close the door. And I felt so guilty. I felt disappointed at myself. So um, I, I prayed to God about it. I said that please by the end of 2016, allow me the strength. Please give me the strength. And I, I prayed for peace. I just prayed for everything to flow. And really, it did. I had things going on for myself where financially wouldn't be a problem. The blockage mainly was just emotionally. And um, everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. When I became single was when I really start, started to notice my issues. So as soon as I became single, I didn't want to be single anymore. So... Instead of me to take the time to heal, I just started dating. I felt like after that relationship would lead me to the love of my life. And by the end of 2017, I was over myself. I had just encountered toxic relationship upon toxic relationships. And by the end of it, it made me feel like I was the issue. My son's father had... Um, moved on to a relationship that seemed like it was working out for him so I felt like I was the common denominator and that feeling of being inadequate of not being worthy took up to overcame me and I I wasn't necessarily depressed but I was again starting to feel unworthy and then my dad got sick. My dad got really sick. And then my cousin passed. And I think that feeling that was lingering in the beginning, plus the trauma from my cousin passing and my dad being sick, 
just put me at such a dark place that when I started the year 2018, everything just felt like it was falling apart. So one of the things that, like I, my creativity and being in business empowered me a lot because, empowered me a lot because creativity was something that I found from within and I enjoyed doing it. And when you start doing something that you're passionate about, it heals you in a lot of ways. At a point when my, as my, when my dad was sick, I planned on going to Ghana to take care of him so I didn't take any clients and things didn't follow through. My dad had diabetes so at a certain point he needed his legs amputated and he wouldn't have his legs amputated so I promised him that I would get him prosthetics if he did that. Now I had things in place to make sure that that happened but nothing worked out and that guilt the first when my dad got out of surgery first person he asked for was me and the first thing he asked me for were his legs and it just broke my heart because I I was working on it but it wasn't working out so that was one of the things that was falling apart for me and then I didn't take clients, so business wasn't coming in. And uh, my income was mainly set on whatever money I was making from the job that I had. And I purposely chose that job, which didn't pay much because I needed something that didn't require much out of me in order for me to focus on my business. So I had, I was living on very little. And then, not too long into the year, I was driving, and a trailer tractor like <laughs> rolled over the driver's side of my car and totaled my car. And at that point, I was sending so much money to Liberia. It was just so much back and forth that I didn't have enough money to buy a car. So I didn't really have a car, and I was sharing a car with my younger cousin. And... <laughs> Shout out to Rita. <laughs> but it was um, a 2000, like an early 2000, I don't remember the exact year, but early 2000 Ford, so like Ford Taurus or whatever. Man, that car humbled me. <laughs> I didn't really want to be, I mean, I it took me from point A to point B, but I didn't want to be seen in it. Every time I was in that car, it reminded me of how I was feeling, of how things weren't working out. I had a very significant friendship. That person was someone who I considered my sister. And there was this betrayal that happened in that friendship. I mean, there was a lot of gossip involved. She had a mutual friend and that friend and I got into a verbal altercation that turned physical. And while she was trying to talk me down the girl came from nowhere and like with a head and busted me outside the, the head with a vase. Mind you, this is what my the situation my dad is going on, the car situation is going on. I don't have clients, and all these things were combined, and that happened. 
And when it happened, I, f- I was on the floor and I was bleeding. I had a concussion. And this girl was so angry that she was still choking me from the back while my friend, I didn't, I don't think she had any parts. I don't think either girls knew that this was going to happen, but my friend was still holding me and it just, everything just happened so suddenly that I was in that position. But while I was in that position is I felt like my life flashed me by because I said to myself, like, is it all worth it, Franklin? You're going to leave your son. And he's going to, it was basically, it just felt like, like I had made these stupid decisions in life. And here I was at a near death experience. So the cops came, the ambulance came and the state pressed charges on her. It was assault with a deadly weapon. It was. It was, it was, they had charges that were set. And after they set the charges, I gave my account. My friend had given her account at that time. I didn't hear anything about the case. And at time progressed, that friend, that best friend and I stopped being friends because, not because of the situation, but just like other underlying issues. We stopped being friends. And, um, it was just like, oh, hearsay. I heard that you said this about me. And then she got, it was just, it was just something very, it wasn't enough. But at that point, we were already, like, we were, I feel like we were disaligning from each other because I was changing. And um, a lot of how she was or how she is, however she is, represented who I was. And I had started to just, not really feel connected in that way anymore but that love was still there so um we stopped being friends and before I knew it I started to hear things about like she and this other person became friends again and they started to take pictures she was basically what I saw as taunting me because she was going out of her way to show that she was back to being friends with this person. So that bothered me a lot because I felt like I felt like this was a friend. This was somebody who I really really trusted and that accident happened and though I didn't blame her but even if we're not going to be friends anymore there is just a way that you would uh, maneuver that would at least show respect to that friendship. So again, I went back into feeling like a victim. And the good thing about it was at that time, I had already started to connect with God. And and I started to go to God with, with a lot of my troubles. And, but, um, at this point in my life, because of that betrayal, I was very angry. It it messed it messed with my mood a lot because there were constantly people would come and tell me, "Oh, she she's always said this about you. She's always done this to you." So, again, I was angry. I had the knowing that I attracted that person as I attracted all the other toxic relationships because of my thinking, because of the my personality traits in a lot of ways that person 
we gossiped a lot together. We tore people down together. And it was only right that I was being torn down. So I didn't, I started to, I was upset. I felt like a victim, but I knew my truth. And um, over time, I started to pray for peace. I wanted to let it go. I didn't want to see this person and feel instigated. I just wanted to let it go because I had started to hear, again, I was attacked and all these things happened again. I felt like a victim, but I no longer wanted to feel like that because no one wants to feel like, I didn't want to feel helpless. I didn't want to feel vulnerable, but I did feel like that. Energy work and how vibration works and not to allow my outside circumstances to penetrate my inside and dictate how. So I, 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 I went to God and I said, I don't want this person to hold space in my heart anymore. And um, I need you to show me ways as to how I can make that happen. So I remember I'm in a shower one day and I and and the, the thought came in my mind, pray for your enemies. Now I don't really like that word enemy is such a heavy word, but <laughs> that's the that's that's what came in my mind and I started to pray for her. Initially it didn't feel right, but as I progressed, it 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 felt right. And when I did that, I got out of that shower with so much freedom and so much peace. And though it took me a couple more tries to really let her go and let the experience go, I went in the shower again, started to pray for the other girl. And then it just, everyone that had ever had some kind of space in my heart, I started to pray for them. And not necessarily because I wanted to um, reunite or rekindle a relationship. It was mainly because it I could not I I I had started to realize what peace was, and I would be minding my business, and then I that person would interrupt my peace. So I'm just like, you know what? This is not what I want. And during that time while I was going through part of the things that were holding me back was the fact that justice, I never got justice. And that person would, these people would make fun of the situation that happened, that she got away with it, that I got what I deserved. So hearing that, right, even though I know, right, that she was in the course of she didn't, you know, the, the detectives try to make it seem like it was a setup and all this stuff, but I don't believe that. I think everything just happened and how it should have happened. But, um, when it was going on, when I was hearing these things, it really, really bothered me and it didn't make me angry. It made me feel really hurt. So it was holding too much space. And there were times where I would ask God, like, how come? You let these things happen. How come I'll go back into my previous relationship and say, how the hell is he able to maintain a relationship when he treated me like this? How are these people all moving forward in life that did me wrong and they're just fine? 
how is this fair and then i and it kind of went back into that feeling of being a victim from my childhood but this time i had a different perspective i had started to learn more about myself i started to understand god started to speak to me in a way that made me understand life so i was struggling with two sides of myself that one the part of me that was used to being a victim and and blaming others and 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 living in my experiences and then there was a part of me that was looking at it from a different perspective and and actually so both sides were integrated and i needed to get rid of one so when i started to do pray when i started to pray for my quote unquote enemies I started to feel peace. I started to see the world differently. I started to actually appreciate the circumstances that led me to that. And I go back to my childhood. I, I mentioned my childhood earlier because I kind of hope that it would show you a glimpse into what I felt as a person for a very long time. And from my renewed perspective, if I had to just encounter that level of betrayal to shift me into who I was becoming with peace, this peace that I had, man, <laughs> um, let's do it again. And at that point I was in therapy and there was a lot of um, talk around forgiveness and I couldn't quite get myself to that. But as I started to connect with God more on a deeper level, on a personal level, as I started to know myself through avenues like astrology and other things, I didn't need to forgive anyone because I fully accepted my circumstances. I didn't need to create a villain in my story because there are no villain. These people merit me in a way and on a soul level because we're all connected. They found, they, they knew that I needed to experience certain things in order for me to grow and in a way they helped me whether they knew it or not and once i started to grasp that concept i started to fall in love with the world and to an extent my obstacles and um after that i re i think now when i look at it i believe that it was a test so um after i had forgotten about the whole um I need justice thing and all this stuff. At this point, I had cut ties with my mom. I didn't really talk to my family in New Jersey. I talked to my grandma. Like I had just created boundary for myself. And this safety blanket that I was looking for from other people of validation, I had created it for myself and I was fine. I received a call from the detective and they said that I would have my day in court and I should write a victim's report. And I did. At that point, I was excited because this was something that I've wanted for so long. Oh my God, like finally, right? But as, you know, after I sent my, they, they had sent me back a letter about what they will go in court and I became engrossed again in that mindset of tit for tat and it took and it shifted that piece that i had to now i was at war 
even though I felt like I was winning the war, I didn't like the fact that I was fighting. So I, but again, I was too distracted by this thing that I've wanted for so long. And then we went to court. She didn't come. So there was a warrant out for her arrest. And then they sent me a letter saying that she had been arraigned and whatever was happening was happening. And then I got a letter. I got a call from the detective who told me that the girl who attacked me was not a citizen. And if she gets convicted, she would be up for deportation. And if I was okay with that. Um, when I got off the phone, it didn't sit well with me, but I was like, you know what this girl has, I thought about all the things that she had done, all the damage she had caused. And I told him, I said, these people have said this and that about me this entire summer. I, I, I was I went through a lot because of that experience and there was no remorse there. Instead, they taunted me the entire summer and I felt like a victim and now I feel different. And I don't want to take that feeling away from me. So I got off the phone with him. But again, it didn't sit well with me. Because what happened within the weeks that I was waiting to hear from the detectives and all that stuff, I started to play back everyone who had hurt me. And I started to imagine what would what could come of them. Because this one thing was manifesting, this one person who had hurt me was getting some kind of justice, it became a domino effect. And I started to go back into everyone who had did me wrong. And again, the two sides of me were fighting with each other because I had felt peace. I didn't care about who hurt me before at a certain point. I was at peace. For a long time in my life, I had this thing where my I had a heaviness from the middle of my back to my shoulder. And as I began to heal throughout my journey, that heaviness went away. And here I was struggling with someone and that that triggered an experience that I got so much out of. So I called the detective and I told him that I wanted to drop whatever parts I had in that case. And I didn't really care about what the outcome was. And I didn't want to hear about it at all. I didn't want to get any updates. And the feeling of relief just came upon me. I really feel like that experience was a test for me because from that moment that I let it go, it just, I've been at peace. And I'm not necessarily saying that particular moment, that, that particular moment was a trigger for other things to unravel. That particular encounter and situation was meant for me to use as an incentive to go into other parts of my life that I considered people or, or, or situation that I felt betrayed at. Um, I wouldn't give this person this much credit to say that they were this much part of my awakening but the experience and how I felt um was similar to how I've always felt so that is a quick um this is what happened to my awakening 
this is how I came to be. These are the situations that happened within that two years that really allowed me to heal. And I am here and I am here equipped with so much knowledge. And um, I look forward to sharing that knowledge with you. I can be reached at healintoyourawakening at gmail.com and on Instagram, healintoyourawakening. Um, I look forward to hearing from you. Have a blessed day. Until we speak again. Bye.